Welcome back to Franco's World, episode 76. Today, very interesting episode with a very interesting comic. They are much more intelligent than myself, so I'm excited to talk to them. And they're going to take me down a peg, which is always good. Uh, Brittany Cardwell, everybody. Brittany, how are you doing? What's up, Franklin? Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, where can people follow you at? Uh, people can follow me on Instagram, mostly. Uh, it's at Britonus Cardwell, B-R-I-T-T-O-N-U-S. C A R D W E L L. I'll be posting in the greater New York area. You host a couple shows that are pretty good. Yeah, I, uh, I host two shows. Uh, one's on Tuesday at seven o'clock um, at the Tiny Cupboard. It's called Ambush Comedy. That one's really fun. I run another show with Claire Alexander every Saturday uh, in Bushwick or somewhere in Brooklyn, usually in a backyard or on a rooftop. And that one's called Drool. Um, and it's like a mostly women lineup. It's funny stuff. It looks like funny stuff. I follow the Instagram account. Claire is a, uh, I'd consider her a good friend. She's a sweetheart. She's helped me out a lot. And uh, those tiny coverage shows, all of them, no matter who's hosting or what type of show it is, they seem like they get a good crowd. So that's uh, that's cool stuff. Oh, yeah, they do. Tiny Cover is like the new comedy seller right now. I don't know if people have said this to you already, but it's like one of the main places where comedy is happening all day, every day in New York. Um, well, yeah, yeah I mean, I've, seen, I've seen a handful of people, uh, uh, you know, run shows there or be on there. I, I had Mae Plannard on uh, a couple weeks ago and she she has oh, a yeah. uh, okay. show there. Yeah. And then uh, Drool is like this. It's kind of nice. I love the Tiny Covered, but we also love having like a different venue and it's a little bit smaller and more intimate. So it's usually, you know, a crowd of like between 30 and 60 people rather than at the Tiny Covered where you can get hundreds if you want to and you can still be socially distanced there. Um, yeah. But yeah. It's been really fun. I'm actually I'm so surprised how much uh, outdoor comedy is going on still. Like it's becoming yeah. the winter month. I was surprised when I got back to New York in at the end of June by how much was available. Because I, you know, I got back thinking maybe there's going to be one show I could do a month or something. You know, maybe I'll get invited once a month. But right. it's it's actually I'm like busier now than I ever was before the quarantine. <laughs> COVID comedy who knew who knew COVID comedy was going to be on the rise like this I mean what do you think what do you think is going to happen now that New York is kind of shutting down again what do you foresee uh, well here's what's happening already uh, some comedy shows are going inside which I don't really think is a good idea right now I mean the cases are going the comedy shows are still going inside despite like everyone knowing that the cases are on the rise so I think that's going to stop pretty quickly like within a month people venues aren't going to be having their shows inside um yeah. my shows we're gonna try and keep them outside for as long as we can and then if i don't, we see, might you, if I don't see you in a blizzard if i don't see you in a blizzard you're not committed enough <laughs> yeah 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 i know we should be like the mailman right like rain or storm rain, or snow, sleet or shine right you're out there i said that to a mailman once in college i was walking to class and uh I, it was like pouring rain and i was like hey rain snow sleet or shine he goes i hate this job <laughs> You think everyone says it to him on a rainy day? Like they think you know what? they're That's making good it rainy day better. <laughs> and it makes it worse every time. Like every rainy day, he hears that 50 times probably. <laughs> He's just like, oh my God, I hate this job. I cannot believe it. He said that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, a, I don't know. That reminds me of, you probably get this sometimes because you're, you're a comic. You know how people will be like, Oh, you want to hear a joke of mine? How how often do people try and give you their own material? And then it's not oh, even their material. Oh, well, uh, people, people, I can definitely tell people like try to ham it up. People will try to like bring it. <laughs> and it's like, dude, I'm literally sitting here watching a game with you. I don't, this, we're not doing, this isn't live at the Apollo. Okay, please don't give it your all today. Have you had this situation? I don't know if your coworkers know that you um, are a comic, but I've had this situation where like, I'm in like a really serious meeting at work <laughs> and someone will say something they think is funny. Like they obviously oh, were trying to make a joke and then they look at me for a few seconds. Like they're like awaiting my response. <laughs> <laughs> and then I always ignore it because I'm like, well, it's usually not very funny, but also I'm like, guys, we're in a place of work and we're trying to like have a serious thing. All I want to do is leave this job so that I can go do open mics right afterwards. So let's get through the meeting. You know, it's just funny. <laughs> cause it's like they think I always want to laugh and that everything is going to be funny, but I'm like so serious at work. <laughs> you don't give them a sympathy laugh? No, sometimes I do. If it's like really desperate, you know, I'll do it. 
oh, I mean, I'm guilty of it, and I know I really shouldn't be like this because uh, laughs are kind of like currency. But it's like I'll be at a mic, and this guy's bombing. But there's something out there that's like okay, oh, and I'll, yeah. be like, I'll, be, I'll be like, huh, like something. I, I try to give him something. I mean, it's totally different when you're at you're in a comedy setting, and like the whole point is for them to gauge how funny they are. But this is like this is like real world people trying to get me to say whether they're funny or not in a context where it doesn't make any sense to be doing that. <laughs> That's so, fair. That's fair. I had a guy, I had, I had a guy get really mad at me uh, when I worked at Lowe's in college because uh-huh. uh, he, he kept trying to tell this joke that some manager was mad at me. And uh, he goes, Hey, just kidding. He's not really mad at you. And I looked him dead in the eyes and I said, that's a terrible joke. That's not funny. And he didn't talk to me for like a month after that. Literally <laughs> lost, lost a work friend off of that we've had our first uh technical whatever malfunction in uh in an episode my west virginia wi-fi has cut out for the 18th time frontier communications (laughs) if you're listening i want you to i want your business to go out like i want your business to fail i hope nobody uses your product anymore i hope you all lose your jobs all this (laughs) i don't care anymore if they want to be a part of this podcast like they are already they should be sponsoring it or something they should be helping. Well, they've out. made for enough content because every week I get on here and say West Virginia's senators are supposed <laughs> to sign this bill to get us broadband internet, and they haven't done it yet. We just reelected them again. Thanks a lot, Shelly Moore Capito. All right, but anyways, uh, the comparing and contrasting the difference uh, in the election, folks. The sun has come up. We are alive. Okay, every state in in the United States has not shut down. Okay, we're alive. The country is 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 fine. All right. West Virginia thought the sky was falling. The entire uh, state voted red. Uh, they were very. They were not happy about the results of the election. New York, however, was dancing in the streets. What was it, what was the scene like for you up there? Oh my god, it was it was so great. It was one of the best days I have experienced ever. Which I mean, I was happy about the result, but I didn't expect to be like this happy. So for me, I slept in that day. I had like a late night, and then. Uh, so what happened was I woke up to people cheering and hitting pots and pans on my street. Like, I think I'd woken up like an hour before that and checked the news and was like, oh, we still don't have an answer. And then we went to, yeah. I went back to sleep. And then I woke up to this amazing news. And so that was, that was great. And then me and my roommates went downstairs and everyone was like outside dancing, playing fuck Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> They're like popping champagne. It was like eleven in the morning or something. That it sounds was really awesome. Beautiful. That sounds fun. I think what was great about it, you know, uh, you know, ASMR. You know that like weird response people get to like music and I don't know, hearing people eat chicken or whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I'm yes, talking about? ASMR where people whisper. Yeah, their that's that's it. So I felt like the whole day I was having an ASMR response to just the knowledge that like everyone around me was in the same mood. Like I felt like tingly the whole day and just this, uh-huh. this amazing, it, la- it lasted the whole day. Like I didn't care about anything else. I had to do three shows that night. Not had to do Like I was excited to do them. <laughs> but I was kind of like, like, I don't even care if I bomb at these shows. Like this, this day has already been amazing. There's no yeah. way it could become a bad day. Even if every show was the worst show I've ever done. <laughs> I, um, I, I am with you there, though. I felt for the first time in a long time an overwhelming sense of peace. I feel like the country has yeah. had reached a, 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 a tipping point, a boiling point, and, and somebody just poked a hole in the balloon and just deflated wow. the situation. Yes, that's exactly how it felt. And related to that, I so I was on vacation the two weeks before that. I mean, I was just it was just in New York. I was just had time off of work, right? And yeah. I was so tense and stressed, like my back was so worked up. And I was like, what's going on with me? I'm on vacation. Like, there's no reason I should be this stressed out. <laughs> and then I think it was all the election, because as soon as we got the results, I felt like way, <laughs> I felt way less tense. It was like immediate. Some of us are still a little bit tense, though, Brittany, because some of us have a gambling problem and put money on Biden to win states that have not been called oh, yet somehow. Yeah. So you're still Do- on a Trump. You're still like hoping he never concedes or whatever. Not that that matters. No, I mean, like, is is has Arizona been called yet? I mean, I'm waiting on a call from Arizona. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much did you bet? 
Oh, we don't have to get into how much I bet. We don't have to get into parents know about this i'm worried about you uh, yeah oh yeah they know about it they're like how much did you lose today and i'm like i won today I, all right oh my god i love your mom's voice that's so cute <laughs> oh well and my that's my mom voice well my mom is actually uh, has like a the southernish accent so i don't know it's like how much did you lose today i don't know how she i can't do it but anyways anyways <laughs> the the scene in west virginia was wild in terms of the facebook scene was wild and now people are are jumping off Facebook, jumping off Instagram and Twitter and going to their own. Other, I saw something was something was called like a parlor or something like that. Do you know what that is? No, what that's, this is an online environment. Yeah. This is like supposed to be the new Republican Twitter. It's called like parlor. I don't know what it is. Is this like a poor man's <laughs> QAnon? I don't know what it is. Probably. Yes. Yeah, I was hoping, I was hoping <laughs> you might know something, but anyways, West Virginia. So I drove <laughs> by her uh, bail or something. What's that? It's like a Cracker Barrel, but on the internet. Is that what it's like? <laughs> hey, don't talk so much about Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel is fantastic. <laughs> I love Waffle House. Uh, hey, Waffle House is pretty good, but uh, I lean more so towards Cracker Barrel. That's just because that's what I know. You stick with what you know, I guess. But uh, West Virginia, you had these uh, people crying their eyes out saying how the country was ruined. And then you had people that were tweeting about how, well, Trump still has a couple months left in office and he's not done yet. Like that matters. Um, But I think I think the best response I saw to any of this, Trump or Biden, anything, the funniest response, the most comedic response was uh, a local business in my hometown uh, flies three flags outside of a. I don't know, outside of the place of business, they fly the American flag, they fly a Confederate flag, and they also fly a Trump 2020 flag. But after Trump lost the election, they put the Trump flag at half staff like they were mourning him. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did you see, you must have seen this, uh, like they tried to have some kind of press conference and... They tried to book the Hilton, but then they booked like some like lawn. Yeah, <laughs> they booked a, a landscaping business. Yeah, Giuliani yeah, out there were. with his mist-colored hands and face. Oh, talking about, oh, oh. Yeah. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And like, you can tell they tried to cover it up. They tried to make it look on camera as though it was like normal by putting so many Trump signs behind Giuliani. Yeah, they just like, put stickers up. They just put stickers up. Everywhere. Yeah. It looked like the cheapest. You could tell it was a cheap event, even when everything else was cropped out. He's like, right. he's sweating. It's like too sunny out. He's sweating. He's in this, and then it's like all this plastic behind him. It looks like when a college landlord uh, tries to renovate a, a house he's renting out, but he just puts a new coat of white paint on the wall. That's what it was. Yeah, or just puts up a tapestry or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you that type of person in college? Did you have the tapestry up or tapestry, whatever? Oh, my my college apartment was shit, but I loved it. It was like what you were supposed to do, you know. I Where'd you go? Missed that. I went to it's. I went to an unknown school, <laughs> Western Washington University. It's in Washington State. Oh, okay, Western Washington University. Okay, well, that's out. I'm out of moves there. You, but yeah, I had I had a really fun time in college. I loved it. Now I have to like. I just, I feel like I still live like a college student sometimes. I mean, my room is like mostly clean, but it's just, I still don't have, okay, so I'm 33, but I don't really live in an adult apartment by myself or anything. I mean, that's partly because I live in New York and it's really hard to live by yourself yeah. here. But I kind of like it. I, I like not having like a perfect place. Maybe, really? uh, you know what, Chris? that's probably just, that's part of, <laughs> that's part of the whole like, you know when you kind of enjoy when things are a little bit bad because oh yeah oh yeah you know i just realized that's probably why i like it (laughs) like i I mean i mean i was at a wedding one time and this girl who wasn't getting married was like life's funny because it's bad and that stuck with me to this day that's why i love this place that's why I love wearing that. <laughs> it's funny because it's bad. But so for college for you, uh, were you like, I'm curious about your comedic inspiration. Were you like the person in college that was like in the improv groups? Were you doing mics? Were you writing at your house? Were you into that at all uh, in college? No, no. I uh, I drank a lot in college. Mm-hmm. Very unique experience there. Um, no, I, so like I was the class clown in high school, which was cool. Like, I mean, I was really serious about school, though. I always had this kind of weird, like, dichotomy, I guess, where 
I I was joking around all the time, but I was also like very serious about schooling. And yeah. I never, me and my friends used to make Saturday Night Live skits on the weekend. So I was like, I was pretty into comedy in high school. Oh, well, uh, hey, I, you're not alone there. My friends and I uh, did that too. One of them's still on YouTube oh, and it, it oh, is horrible. Yours is on YouTube. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so bad. It's it's so bad. I'm not even going to tell you the name of it. We made it. Uh, we were in like sixth, seventh grade. It was bad. Oh my god! I should put mine on YouTube. It's so bad, but it's like you know, it's fine because I was in. Yeah, I was in like I was a freshman or something in high school. What was your kit? I won't try and find it. Uh, basically, so the premise of this kit was we were really into Lonely Island at the time, and oh, yeah. and uh, so I don't, I, our name was like a ripoff of that, I think. And what we did was like we made up a story about how we there was a nerd who beat us up by using his calculator or something like that. It was like the nerd beat up the jocks, the jocks were afraid of the nerd. I don't know, it was bad. Yeah. A calculator, because that's the only good calculator. I think it was a Texas instrument, if I do believe so, yeah. Man, those were so expensive. Like, they're not even a thing now. I don't think. Really? Or is it, I don't have to use them. I don't know. I assume you do all those calculations on the internet now, right? That's true. That's true. We're walking around with calculators in our in our pocket. But, uh, so, yeah. you did all these, you did the you joking around and stuff like that when you were oh, younger. Well. So, like, whenever you... When did you start comedy? Like whenever you moved to a different country? No. So it I oh, it took me forever. I think like I was always interested in it, obviously, because I was doing sketches with my friend. And like we used to watch stand up all the time together. We used to watch all the late night talk shows. I loved Conan O'Brien. I'd like stay up all the time just to watch him. Yeah. I was um, a Conan kid. Yep. It was a thing where it's like, you know, you don't really know that you can actually do comedy. Like when you see that stuff, you're like, Oh yeah, haha, that that looks fun, but it doesn't seem like anything you could really do as yeah. a job. So I didn't even think about it. And I went to school and I was like, yeah, I want to be a doctor or something. And then then I didn't really like those classes and I ended up like doing research in psychology. And I really liked that because well, basically <laughs> I I realized like I don't want to stop going to school because I feel like once I stop doing research, I'll have to, my creativity is going to be like stunted. Like right yeah. now I'm doing research and I can like explore whatever questions I want to. And that's, that's what I really want to keep doing the rest of my life. And so that was kind of my goal was to just keep doing that. So then I went to New Zealand to do a PhD. So I was still like not doing comedy at all. Like I was totally just focused on, I wanted yeah. to be a professor. I was like, I'm going to keep doing research the rest of my life. I want to be able to explore whatever. Um, and so I finished all that and we can talk about the, the thesis if you want later. Um, but then I, I started to realize like, it's not true that you get to be creative in that job. <laughs> like yeah. you don't get to be creative as a professor doing research until you are like 60 years old when you have tenure or maybe mm -hmm. 50. And by that time, I was like, what if I don't even care about this anymore? So I just started to see like, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. And mm -hmm. at the same time, I started doing stand up. And I was like, Oh, I can do stand up and immediately do whatever I want, and get feedback immediately. And I love working alone as well. Like yeah. I, I always hated like collab. I like some collaborative projects when I trust people. But for the most part, I like to be in a lot of control over like what happens. Yeah. So that was like another thing. It's like, oh, this is like all me. And yeah, and then I, uh, so I started doing stand up and I kind of was like, yeah, I don't want to be a professor anymore. And so I moved to New York and started doing comedy. So I guess your question was, when did I start? I started like five years ago, but mm -hmm. I started in New Zealand. Um, have you been out there or anywhere near there, like Australia? Been to, no, I, I actually, I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't even know if I could date a woman that, that lived that's family was from australia because that ungodly travel that is such a long oh, trip i don't know if i can do it i thought you were gonna say the accent a lot of people don't no. like the accent. no i love the <laughs> accent i think the accent's great i love the accent too but you know what it is like i think new zealanders hate australians accents and australian australians hate new zealanders because in in new zealand it's like new zealanders are the canada Kind of in Australia, is the US. <laughs> okay, that it's makes sense. Yeah, so they kind of treat each other that way. Like, 
I, Australia, I think Australia doesn't care that much, but New Zealand feels a little bit like hurt all the time. And like, it's yeah. the little brother or something. Yeah. Yeah. But no, the furthest, uh, I don't know, uh, overseas I've been is, uh, uh, Spain or Germany. I don't know which one's further that way. So that's, uh, that's my extent that's of right. travel. I don't really, uh, do much traveling. Uh, yeah. I can't tell which one's further either. Like my cognitive maps all distorted. Right. I but like uh, Germany's Actually, yeah, it probably is Germany. But do you take your scientific background? Do you take sort of a, a scientific method to your approach to creating jokes? Like, are you are you breaking down syllables? Are you breaking down these LPMs, these laughs per minute? Do you think the like, oh, no. words with the C <laughs> sound are funniest? Like, are you breaking it down like that? Oh my god! Um, I would say not regularly. Like, I think about those things sometimes. But I'm not the kind of person that has an Excel sheet with laughs per minute or, you know. like <laughs> That's the thing with me. It's because I worked at like baseball scouting and I did analytics. It's like I'm playing yeah. Moneyball with comedy. Yeah. Oh, so do you have Excel sheets? I mean, not for comedy, but like for a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> for absolutely yeah. useless things. Like I'm, I'm very organized in a, a lot of areas of my life, but I feel like applying exactly the same thing to comedy makes it feel like it's just more work you know like if i was making excel sheets with laughs for per minute i feel like i would start to hate it oh yeah um, well you would break yeah. it down so you would break it down so much to where there wouldn't be like it wouldn't be organic it would just be like cooked yeah, uh, yeah. overcooked you know blah. yeah and i don't know like i do actually sometimes i'll re- i'll use names that start with k because i, I am aware of the whole k sound thing so if yeah. I have the opportunity, I'll be like, I might as well do that. If it's going to make it like slightly funnier, then of course I'll change Michael to Keith or something. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm not very, I don't know. At first it used to bother me that I wasn't systematic enough <laughs> about comedy because it, it is kind of like you need to be really organized in a lot of ways. But then every time I tried, it did kind of like stilt me. Like right mm-hmm. now I'm so, I have like 50 notebooks and a bunch of Word documents, and a bunch of notes on my phone, and they're all, none of them make any sense. <laughs> they're just oh, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. If someone if someone saw my yellow legal pads, they thought I was probably like a Unabomber type guy writing a manifesto. It just I makes know. no sense. Same. And it, it used to really, really bother me, and I would sit down every few months and be like, okay, I have to compile everything, and everything's going to be on one clean document, and I'm going to have all these, like, different sections of the document where like part of it will represent this is a fully done joke and then the other jokes will be in another whatever so i used to try to do that all the time but it was so hard to categorize things and then as you know like even when you think you're done with a joke like you've been doing it for years it will still change it's like it's never gonna be at a final stage so there's there's no reason to for me to waste time like trying to be like i'm done with this now I'm going to do this, you know? And so I kind of stopped doing that. I, I still go back through my material a lot, like old notes, especially when I'm oh, yeah. kind of like, I, I don't have any new thoughts. And I'm like, I know I had good thoughts a year ago. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm sort of in that camp right now. I have a, I mean, like I've written a bunch of new stuff, but it's like, how is yeah. it in comparison to my other stuff? Cause I don't have the opportunity to get out and like try it. So it's like, am like, which is best, you know, it's, it's, it's very odd. Definitely. Yeah. Do you listen to, there's a podcast called, uh, let's talk about sets. I've heard of it, but honestly, ironically, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't either actually. Um, but I like, I like that one. I listen to that one quite a bit. So I think a lot about like, like I am, I feel like I am constantly analyzing comedy, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting down and like, doing the math of it, you know, like I never feel like I'm doing that, but I'm constantly thinking about it. Do you know well, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do know what you mean because it's like anytime you have a conversation with somebody, a random person and like they laugh, it's like, Oh, I got to make a note of that. That could be something. Or, or you hear something on the news and you think of an anecdote to add in your mind. You're like, Oh, make a note of that. I, I know. What yeah. you mean. Oh, but so you, I think your question, you started out asking how it was similar to science. Um, so I told you the ways that I'm not analytical about it, but like there are, there are a lot of ways that like my science career, I feel like has set me up for um, doing stand-up comedy, which I wouldn't have expected. 
Uh, do you want to hear about that too? Yeah, of course. Uh, the people want to hear, Brittany. The people want to know oh, about yeah. you. If you're in a career in science right now and you're not happy, here's how you can apply. My listeners, I will say this. I will say this, Brittany. My listeners are a very intelligent bunch. They are uh, well-read. A lot of them have graduated uh, college, uh, have nice jobs. That is my audience. Good. Yeah, well, if you're unhappy in your career in science, uh, here's how you tweak your resume to support a comedy career. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of making that up. No one uses resumes in comedy. Like, I mean, I guess some people do. You have bios, but sometimes I'll go to people's websites and they have like, they have like a Word document of a resume of comedy stuff, which I don't know. Maybe I'm just not high and high up enough yet to have needed a No, I mean some doctor. people definitely do. I know actors. I know actors will do that. I had some actor friends that, that yeah. did stuff like that. I think it makes sense for acting because like there is more of like an application process, but when it comes to comedy, it's more like, oh no, you just get booked a bunch and then and then yeah, like someone might want you to be on TV because they liked your stuff or whatever, right? I don't right. know. I I'm half making this up. <laughs> But anyway, but back, uh, back to the back to the jokes. Yeah, so um, I did a I did a PhD in cognitive psychology, thinking I was going to be a professor, and I guess the overlap with comedy is like, well, there are so many. So for one thing, there's lots of public speaking. Like that's pretty obvious. I had to give talks yeah. all the time about like my projects and what we think's going on, and you have to like learn how to tell a story in an engaging way and all that. So I feel like I didn't have stage fright. Well, I had so I had stage fright, but it wasn't as severe as I think it is for a lot of people when they first start. Because I had been giving talks for like eight years, basically, yeah. in front of like big crowds. So that was fine. It was more, how do I now do that and talk about personal stuff instead of talking about like some bar graphs that I made with an <laughs> Excel file? <laughs> um, so that's fine. And then, I don't know, I guess the other parts that are similar is like when you're doing I was doing like experiments on people and looking at how photos are going to affect their beliefs about their past Uh um and so like with the experiments you end up I mean there's a lot of creativity there where you're like okay what's the premise the premise is pretty much the hypothesis in the experiment like what what do we think is true about the world or what we want to know is true true Mm-hmm. And then you have to like, test it. You have to figure out how to test it. So you develop this this design for your experiment and you think it's going to like answer a question, right? That part's slightly different because testing in comedy is more like you think you came up with an answer to the premise, which is your punchline, and you want to oh. know if other people agree. So that's like the testing in comedy. And also just like with science, you can't just test it one time. You have to have like a bunch of data in order to know the Ooh. answer. I like and it. So if you tested it on one person, that's not reliable at all. So you have to like do, you know, you have to do 20 mics or whatever. And right. at different Small mics, sample you get size. it doesn't work. Exactly. So you have to like get like this big distribution of data, which is all of the times you've tried your joke and kind of like estimate <laughs> how well it works based on all these responses. Now, so, do you take note of that? Do you take note like a, a, an actual document? You're like, okay, it's set here not good set here good and then like do you do it like yeah. that i used to in the beginning i used to um write down every joke that i did at a mic and afterwards i would put like a check mark uh, if it worked or not and i might even give it kind of some kind of score but wow. i just can't do that now like it's way too much effort and that that was back when i was doing way fewer mics and shows so i just had a lot more time to like do these like analyses i guess yeah, um, but and I now you're just having to like to pound the pavement. You're getting them out, and you're just like, okay, move on. Yeah, I mean, now it's more like you kind of just notice it, and you go, okay, okay, and then it's. I feel like a, it's a lot more intuition now, and mm-hmm. you, I'm kind of keeping track, but it's not like something that's in the front of my mind, really. Yeah. Oh, like, I mean, and you notice little things too, like. I have this joke that has been, it has been like working consistently ever since I started telling it. I've probably, I've probably told it like 50 times now and it worked every time almost to the same level. Like when I started, which is surprising because it usually doesn't, usually doesn't yeah. work that well the first time you do it, you know, but this one worked every time. And I've been like, okay, this is like so reliable. I can't believe it. And then I did it the other day 
and the audience happened to be like 90% women and the joke like did not work. What? And yeah. And then I, as I was telling it, I was like, Oh, I've never done it in front of only women. And there's something about them. I have to, now I have to tweak it. If I ever have a lot of women again, I have to find a way to tell the joke differently. Maybe. That's wild. <laughs> That's wild. But it's like, it's funny how even, even a joke you think is like perfect. Like eventually there will be someone in your sample who you still have to like tweak it for. <laughs> That's true. The the um, joke, I always like to say, you know, there's always that WIP banner over top of my joke. It's always a work in progress, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And as for me, you know, with my um, baseball stuff like that, it's like I've always uh, thought of parallels between uh, baseball and comedy because, you know, the the good professionals are, you know, consistent day in, day out type of guys. Um, the, the ones that people remember, like minimize damage, like whenever they have a bad night, they just move on, uh, especially yeah. with pitching, especially with pitching, because you're going to go out there every night that you pitch and you might not have your best stuff, but somehow you work around it and you rely on other things maybe to, to get it done. And then other times when you're hitting your spots and you're, and you're, you know, you know, grooving, it's like, all right, I'm on top of the world. There's a lot of parallels between baseball. Oh yeah. You just reminded me of another, like a similar thing. Um, with like research is there's tons of rejection. So I got really mm. used to that in my career too. Like you're trying to, well, first of all, your experiments might fail. So then you're like failing a bunch and then you have to like try new stuff. And then when you have something great, you try and publish it and then you get rejected from every journal or yeah. whatever, or you don't get into like a postdoc program you wanted. It's always like, or even if you have something great, the, the feedback is super critical. It's like going to open mics sometimes when you're at a conference trying to talk about your data and then everyone's uh -huh. like, yeah. Everyone like likes it, but they're like, "Yeah, but the, this wasn't that funny, or whatever." Yeah, but <laughs> like, it's not for me. They just think it's good. It's just not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, I guess I got really used to never being good enough, which is the whole career. <laughs> <laughs> and no, writing, I'm I had, to, I was writing a lot, uh, doing that stuff, and you kind of have to make it a habit. Like, I had to write every day if I was going to get my manuscripts done and try and get mm -hmm. them published. And so I kind of like was already in that habit when I started doing comedy. And so I, I try to write every day. I feel like I'm doing worse and worse at it lately, but like, that's my main thing is like, I don't, tr I don't wait for like inspiration. Cause I know that I will just never yeah. sit down and write. I'm waiting yeah. um, and I think that's super important. And like a lot of people don't realize you have to just like sit and write. And every time I do sit down and write, even if it's 10 minutes, like normally something important comes out. Even if right. it's a small thing. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's your plenty writing? of nights where I sit down or I sit down, I play my jazz records, I get on my pen and paper and I just start and I just pray I reach a, a finish line at some point where in the middle of yeah. the maze, I'm just like, oh, there's something in there. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I just set a timer for like 30 minutes and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to at least sit here for 30 minutes typing stuff. You seem and, like a very ritualistic person. Like you have every like a lot of these set uh, beliefs and ideas. Like so, whenever you write and everything, like does everything have to be perfect in an, in a certain way before you can start? No, 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 no. I I am like ritualistic in some ways, but I know that that's not realistic. Like if everything is perfect, I would never start because nothing's nothing's ever perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I after oftentimes. It's just sitting down and writing something. So even if I just write whatever thoughts I'm having, even as if I start writing about how I don't feel like I'm being funny right now and it sucks that I have to write or whatever. Like if yeah. I just start writing, I think that's it. Is like I know that that ritual can lead to things coming out even when I feel like shit or like I don't feel funny. So yeah, in a way it's a ritual. Like I know that it'll work somehow. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's just, I put on, I put on my, my music and I just like, <laughs> I just sit there and I used to be really, really hard on myself. It's like, if my room wasn't like spotless, I couldn't, I couldn't oh, like focus yeah. and write. Like that was my whole thing. Oh, that definitely helps. I, I like my room to be clean before I work on stuff, but I don't know. I don't, I don't have to. I'm like really neurotic, but at the same time, I'm like really messy. So I have all these like rituals that I do, but I'm really messy about them. Like mm -hmm. I was telling you, all my, all my documents are like illegible and 
well, the written ones are illegible to most people. And I can barely even understand them because it's just like a bunch of crazy rants and I'm like writing in the margins and stuff. And then everything is like so dispersed. I don't even know what the most recent ideas are or anything. So like I'm really messy, but I'm also like really organized at the same time. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have everything uh, set how you like it. I, I understand how that works. Um, I would do yeah. want to get back to this though, because you you reference you might be able to talk about it later. Your your thesis project uh, with the the cognitive psychology and everything was what was the whole project you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Okay. So this stuff is scary. Are you ready? It's like a scary no. movie we're about to go into. I want to. <laughs> I want the listeners to learn. This is a funny but also informative episode. <laughs> This is a warning. This is scary stuff. So, okay. We're, we're going to start out light. This part's not very scary, okay? okay. Um, <laughs> have you ever, like, looked back at a photo album from your childhood and you see some pictures of you maybe, like, at your, like, fourth birthday or something? You've done that before, right? And you're like, oh, there I am. We, we, had, like a, we had, like, a water fight party. This is, I'm, looking, I'm thinking <laughs> of my own we had a water balloon. We had a water fight that day, and I was in my swimsuit, and it was so. It, look how fun it was! It was so fun. Remember those people from when I was uh, oh, four yeah. or five years old? Yeah, and like that's such a normal thing to do, right? But, and that's this is actually like a technique that some therapists will use to try and get people to remember events from their past. They'll be like, look through your photo albums and try and remember things that have happened to you before uh-huh. with these pictures. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Like they're doing that in like a good, they have like a good, you know, intention is that they want to try and like remember things that might have led to the patterns or the feelings that you have today or whatever. But there is also the possibility that doing that kind of thing can lead you to remember information or events that never happened. So like when hmm. you are looking at that picture of your birthday party with the balloon fight, you're four years old. You probably don't really remember much at all, but the photo is giving you a lot of like details that you can use to kind of construct a story around that event, like who you might've been with or what might've happened. Like if I told you, Oh, someone threw a balloon at you and it hit you in the eye and you started bleeding. And then the birthday party was ended or whatever. And you had to go inside. Like I could tell you that. And you could then imagine how that might've happened because you have elements from the photo that help right. you imagine, right? So there's a bunch of research showing that that kind of thing happens all the time. Like you can do experiments where you show people a photo like that. And like you show, you ask people to recall, for example, four different events that happened in their childhood. And the researcher knows that one of those events is false, like the, the uh, balloon event or whatever, the yeah. water fight event. And the other three really did happen. So they'll be like, okay, we just want you to tell us your memory of these four events. Just tell us what you remember. Uh, and then the person will tell them what they remember. And then over like three weeks, the re- interviewer will ask them about those events. And over time, people start remembering that they actually had the event that didn't happen. So the birthday party what? thing or whatever. Yeah. And they'll, like at first they'll tell you, in the first interview, they'll be like, oh, I have no idea. I don't remember that at all. That's weird, right? And then in the second interview, they're like, oh, I can remember. Like, I remember Brandon. Um, yeah, he's the one that threw the balloon at me or whatever. <laughs> they'll just like, they'll start adding all these details. And then over the course of like three weeks, people will tell you in full detail exactly what happened at that birthday party that like, never happened so i'm giving you this birthday party example when in reality like the research i'm thinking of they they made up some other scenario that they knew had not happened to the person in their past and they confirmed Uh this with the parent so they know like this is a false event in my case like i'm actually thinking of a real party that happened to me (laughs) but (laughs) well are you sure that you're remembering real party well i know the party happened I don't actually have this memory of getting hit in the eye. I just You're made it up. Bending the this. story to fit the narrative there. It's weird. It's creepy. But I am actually combining that picture with a, with me getting stung in the eye by a bee as a kid. And like, <laughs> I think that, that also did happen to me, but I think my memory of it is false because I was like three years old. Uh, so yeah. I think I just remember what my parents told me and then I imagined that happening to me. Anyway, like that, that, that people, I think, I think nostalgia can be sort of like this drug for people where they look at things in the past and they think it's, 
like things are so much better than what they are now and and really they just like forget about the bad things and i is there any sort of like relation yeah, with and that like, in the, in the- oh yeah i mean oh i have i have more to say about the false memory thing but yeah we can talk about that too so i mean part of that is that you look at photos of the past and most photos you took are going to be positive in nature right no one's like mm-hmm. got photo albums of all their oh my grandpa surgery. died here's a photo of him in his bed yeah 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 i mean <laughs> it's just less like like we don't want to take photos of that kind of thing so your your memory will be distorted in some way because the, the kinds of images we try to remember tend to be positive in the first place uh-huh. um, but there's also this like general bias general memory bias where we do remember um oh you were talking about the past i was thinking about there's like a general bias to remember positive stuff there actually there are too many there are way too many versions of this for me to give you a concrete answer because like on the one hand we negative information stands out like way more than positive information you know when you're like critiqued like you let's say you submitted a report for school or whatever and you get feedback from from your professor and uh-huh. they give you like a bunch of positive feedback they're like this is great this is a really good idea you wrote here or whatever and then there's like one thing they said that they thought could use improvement that's the thing that sticks in your mind and that that's like a tendency we have is to focus on those like on uh, the negative so that'll be it has so much more power than the positive they even apply this to like relationships where if you you and your partner like it's like some proportion like for every one negative comment there have to be like five positive comments Otherwise, the relationship is going to fall apart because the negative comment wow. has so much more power than any of those positive comments. So, like, to answer your question, that's one part is, like, in some ways we remember negative stuff or it has more influence over us than positive stuff. Am I telling you too much right now? Is it too much no, I'm, I'm attentively listening. That's the thing. It's, like, the reason I'm not, like, trying to, like, chime in and butt <laughs> in with some dumb joke is because, like, I'm genuinely interested in this. Like, I'm all... Yeah. Well, I'm on like this search for everything. I'm on this never ending quest where I have to figure out all information ever. And so like you telling me more about like cognitive psychology is just like baffling to me. I'm interested. Hopefully I'm getting this right too. I hope like researchers don't some researchers with the PhD. What do you mean you hope you're getting it right? Well, because like my PhD was in a very specific part of all this. So it's like I'm just remembering the literature I read, but I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly. So yeah, on the one hand, I remember like negative stuff really well, but then there's like this whole other area of research where um, we feel like we're improving all the time. Like, you know, when you look back on your past and you're like, what an idiot. I was like, (laughs) I thought that, I thought that trees, I don't know, like you have like dumb thoughts. I have, a, I have a couple jokes about this, actually. Like, that's a lot of I what I like I just always say that about. I would go back in time and beat myself up if I could, because I just think 14-year-old me was an idiot. Yeah. So, like, people have this perception that they personally are getting better all the time. And I can't remember how this was tested, but apparently there's evidence that we don't really change that much. I mean, you obviously change in your, like, general knowledge and what you know about the world and understand. Yeah. But I think this was more in terms of, like, it might have been that they were measuring, like, personal characteristics like happiness or something like oh i'm so much happier now than i was five years ago when in reality people are pretty similar um so there's that other bias where it's kind of like we need to see improvement because like you need to believe that you're progressing yeah otherwise what do you you know like that's a lot of what depression is in my mind is like when i feel like i'm just stuck somewhere and so it's almost like it's a bias to believe that you're improving, but it's like helpful for us evolutionarily because we're not going to just sit around and feel depressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then there, like you said, there's also nostalgia where you can also just rem- you feel really positive about. Well, I think oh, a lot that's... of people in my generation just have nostalgia for things that they didn't live through. Like, they have nostalgia for 80s yeah. music and 80s clothes, but they didn't live through Reaganomics. They don't know what it was like back then. Yeah, they have no idea. And, like, yeah, again, the positive parts of the 80s are represented now because 
we don't want to. Like, people, kids watch Stranger Things and they're like, oh my God, that was so cool back then. It's like, you don't know anything about that. <laughs> I have a question about uh, uh, sort of my personal uh, development, uh, cognitively speaking. So for me and my uh, journey to be a professional comedian and everything, um, so my dad was a professional public speaker and I got to watch him every week for an hour. He did an hour, like every week. He did a pass, he was a pastor, some. He-, he, what, what was he speaking about? Well, he uh, he was a businessman, but he was also a pastor. So, like, he would he'd work uh, uh, for Pepsi, and he would give these yeah. you know speeches, and then he would also like preach on Sundays. And I'd watch him do an hour of material. Do you think like me as a young kid watching him get on stage and entertain people for an hour like had to do something to make me be like I want to do that? Oh, probably. You're probably like, yeah, this is this is what life is. <laughs> you get up. <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny. He was a pastor and he spoke for Pepsi. Did he ever yep. accidentally start doing Pepsi material <laughs> at church? <laughs> He's like, all right, we got this new product out called Gatorade G2. Oh, sorry. That's my other job, folks. Uh, first yeah. Ezekiel says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. No, I, I think there's probably something to that. Like, I feel like watching entertainment is... The main way to, it's so fun. And like, yeah, pastors are very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, some some of them are crocs. Some of them just like to steal money. Some of them I don't like at all. Like that one pastor... Who was that one pastor on the news this week who was just like, he's like, Joe Biden's president. Ha ha ha. Like, oh laughing. My God. yeah, I watched it. I watched the Daily Show last night. So I saw all the all the important events that happened. That guy, um, that guy's such a loser. He says he can't fly on oh a public plane because it's full of demons. So he has to fly private and just steal people's money. It's it, oh, it makes me so mad. The big business and religion. That's oh, I hate yeah, big business and religion. Crazy. That's crazy. Um, does your dad tell jokes? Oh yeah. Oh, that's half of his sermons are are just jokes. Oh my gosh, he he literally yeah. is up there doing material. Do you do you end up doing a lot of jokes uh, that are related to religion because of that? Or no, I I, of- I don't like that. I don't really like to joke about religion a lot. Uh, I think that's a big like. I work mostly clean too, but uh, like I. I don't like to joke about religion just because like, I know there's people out there that live and die by it and uh, would get just like, you know, who am I to say my God is the right one and their God's the wrong one. I do have a joke about Jesus being a socialist though, which I think is funny. Nice. But what about, so like, I mean, I'm basing this on pastors I've seen before who tell jokes and they'll tell, you know, like Bible related jokes. Do you, do you have any of those? No, not at all. Oh, Okay. He most of his jokes are honestly just crowd work. Like he'll just find somebody in the crowd and be like, "Brother Paul knows what I'm talking about," and then the crowd's like, "Ha ha ha!" <laughs> he's just like, "Isn't that right, guy in the the button up polo?" Yeah, that's literally it. He's doing a lot of cr- crowd work. Like he's not be like when Daniel was in the or uh, Daniel was in the lion's den, or was it David? Is Dan- yeah, oh, I don't even know. I see, feel this like is Daniel- how this is like. See, like obviously, I'm not going to make any religion jokes. I don't even know the stories of the Bible. Jeez. Is all your dad's crowd work just about what people are wearing? Or, or does he say, like, is anyone here from out of town? <laughs> like the classic <laughs> No, like sometimes, no, the, the big, the big joke with, go ahead. Oh, he said, is anyone selling a birthday tonight or celebrating a birthday tonight? <laughs> <laughs> no, a lot of a lot of the jokes pastors tell, it's all like the same recycled stuff. So if you're a, a white pastor, you'll start out by saying, and I won't keep you here too long today, folks. I know kickoff oh, is in an hour. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, well, that's, that's the big joke. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that stuff before. That's funny. <laughs> so your cognitive development, was there anything that like led you to want to be a comedian? Um, okay, so here's something I think happened, which is maybe similar to you seeing your dad entertain and then make, getting into comedy. Um, when I was doing research in undergrad, I went to my cognitive psychology class and my professor was like so entertaining and funny. And I I was just watching him and I loved it. And I was like, I want to do that. That's exactly what I want to do. But when I was looking at him, I must've, what I thought I wanted to do and what I was seeing was be a professor, do research. But now, and then I, then the same thing happened when I decided to do a PhD, I met my supervisor at a, at a research conference and she gave the keynote address and she was hilarious and entertaining. 
And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to work with her. That's exactly what I want to do. And she's my mentor because like, that's exactly how I want to be. But again, I was thinking I want to do research because that's what she did. And now that I've done comedy, I'm like, it's so obvious that what I thought I wanted at the time was, or what I wanted at the time was actually to be an entertainer. I didn't want to be a professor, but that's what they were like wrapped in professor stuff. Like all their comedy was like, yeah. Yeah. You know, like your dad is, he's a pastor, but he's telling jokes, he's entertaining people. And so you see that. So, so like, would you, so the comedians that you like to watch the most, would, are they like sort of like the, uh, take a scientific method to it? Are they very cerebral, cerebral with their, you know, word choice and movements and everything? No, I, I like a, I feel like I like a huge variety and I, I can never, I never know how to answer this question. But I think one one thing that is pretty consistent across the people I like. So I really like uh, Nathan Fielder. You know him? Yes, I do. Yeah. Because I show Nathan for you. That's like one of my favorite TV shows ever. Um, That's good stuff. He's funny. Oh, my God. He's so funny. So like I would say that matches up in some ways because he has like these. So you like a very dry type of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I like I also like not dry stuff. But I think the reason I like him so much is because it's it's so stupid and smart at the same time. Like I love, I love when those two things come together. That, that's and, a very good way to describe it. It's, it's so, it's so dumb. It's smart or it's so smart. It's dumb. I don't know. <laughs> but like the whole bit about the fake Starbucks or whatever, what was it called? Oh, dumb, dumb Starbucks. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. And I mean, uh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. And then I really liked, uh, what was it called? Smoking aloud. Did you watch that one? I don't think I know that one. Oh, that one is so good. You should watch it. He so he's trying to find a way to allow customers to smoke inside because the the bar owner at this place is like, yeah, I get fewer customers now that smoking is illegal inside or whatever. So he finds a loophole that if you if you do a play in the bar, then the actors can smoke, right? Because it's like part yeah. of some law. So then he just he he sets up chairs in the corner of the bar and gets this fake this audience to watch regular bar people in the bar just hanging out for like three and a half hours. And so the, the people hanging out in the bar are smoking because they're like technically like they're part of it. Right? And so oh my god, you should watch this episode. I'm not even doing it justice. It's so funny. So like that ends up working fine. And then and then, oh, then another funny aspect of it is that the, the audience thought it was a real play. So then he interviews the audience afterwards and he's like, what do you think about the play? And some people were like, oh, it sucked. It was so boring. It was like nothing was happening. Yeah. But then other people are like, oh, it reminded me of this um, other like famous, you know, theater person. <laughs> all like, it's like when people try and describe wines the taste of wine oh my gosh yes yeah. some douches out there being like it was it took me to a different place so yeah and they're like yeah this is like grocery store wine so like you don't know <laughs> so you're drinking franzia oh yeah. oh okay. then he goes even further so then he's like oh the play went so great i think we should just try and recreate exactly what happened here tonight for other people so then he brings in actors a bunch of actors to play the roles of the people that were in the bar in the first place (laughs) and to recreate every moment so it's a it's like a three-hour play so he brings all these actors in and they have to study (laughs) all the interactions that they saw and then they recreate it and oh man it's just so funny i love that show i i've watched I feel like I've watched it over and over. Like I don't even know how many times I've watched the, the commitment show. to that bit is unreal. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I think maybe that's part of why I like him too, because he's he commits so hard and then he like he thinks of such funny angles and I don't oh, know. Yeah. I would my dream would be to work on a show with him. He would be and I love awkward stuff as well. Like he's perfect in all those. I'm trying situations. to think of like so do you like guys like Dimitri Martin? Was that one of your guys? I never got really into him. I do like him, but I never like watched a lot of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um another person I like, I guess because he has that kind of dumb smart contrast, is uh Nate Bargatze. 
Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, now we're talking. Let's talk. Let's this this Nate talk section. I love it. Yeah, let's do this. What's your uh, what's your favorite bit? Oh, the the classic uh, Starbucks. He's like, just give it to me, okay, please. Uh, and he's just like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that one's good. My my he's parents like, really liked it too, so that was nice. We can sort of bond over that. Well, he's clean. I, that's why I like him. Yeah, he's clean. Yeah, I like his uh, I like his climate change bit. Did you see that one? Oh, I don't. I don't remember. I'll have to look it up. I don't think so. I feel like I'm not going to remember how it goes well enough. But no, nah, don't worry about it. But Nate, I like Nate. He uh he did a show with uh, some West Virginia uh like country music like legend. So like that's when I first got introduced to him. Like saw him, and I didn't mm-hmm. meet him formally, but like I saw him, and I was just like, yeah. oh okay, like this guy's really like really smart. He's dry. It's fine, but like he's clean. But you don't know he's clean until you realize like he didn't like curse or anything is wild and yeah so, you're right yeah that's what that's what i would like to try to get to it's like to the point where it's like wow that set was so good i didn't realize like he was uh, did work clean so that's 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 why i admire nate so much I, i'd like to emulate something like that yeah he's so good <laughs> yeah nate nate's nate's the best nate's the best he's one of my favorites um before we go here uh you had one more point and i'd hate to like leave a loose end out there for the people that like listened for like the science aspect of this episode could you close off that uh like study that you were talking about oh yeah so the yeah with the false memory study um yeah so what i was saying right so i was saying that so you have these four events and people think that the false one is true by the end of it, right? Like they come up with all these details and uh, the details sound like a real memory and people believe it Mm -hmm. happened. And I guess I just wanted to add, because this is like what's really striking about it is that um, the researchers at the end of the study, they'll be like, okay, we tricked you. Uh, We gave you four events to recall, but only one of them or one of them is actually false. We want you to tell us which one of those didn't actually happen to you. And what's crazy is that the participants will choose at chance the false event. So they can't distinguish between the false event that they made up with the picture compared to the true events that really happened to them. So that's what's really scary is is it's not like people are like, oh, yeah, I might have had this happen to me in my past. They're like, oh, this happened to me in my past. And I believe it just as much as things that actually did happen to me. That so, is scary because it's like I'm now I'm thinking of every picture I've ever been shown of me in elementary school and I'm like, what yeah. really happened? Your brain your brain is like set up to try and fill in gaps. And so like we look at pictures and we just start like imagining and pretending and stuff like that. And it's it's usually good because it can help you predict things or or think about things that probably did happen, but then in a lot of cases you're just like making stuff up. And it really becomes consequential, you know, like when it comes to the the legal system where, you know, now people are relying on your memory, but your memory has been distorted because someone asked you to look at a picture and think about the possibility over time. And what you're, what you're remembering is actually just your imagination of the event that you, like you imagined the event weeks ago and now you remember your imagination. Oh my God. (laughs) We have a very hard time separating imagery from actual memories, especially when the imagery the images are so imbued with like details and in the case with the photos, that's what the photos do. They put so many details in there that it's even harder to distinguish them from a, a real event. So, so you're so saying like, really uh, say in a court of law, somebody shows mm-hmm. a photo of, of a, a murder scene uh, would like, I'm, I'm so I'm, I'm lost as to like, would the person that did the murder, like have a weird memory of it? Or would like the jury have a weird memory of it? Like who yeah, would, you know- it can be it can be both sides. So um, there is a problem in with I with a what is it called false confessions. So you yeah. can get people to falsely confess to murdering or doing some other kind of crime. Um, it doesn't have to be with a photo, but a photo can make it more likely. Like if anything that makes it easier for them to imagine it happening and then to later recall that will kind of like boost that. Um, It'll, it'll make them more inclined to eventually falsely confess. A lot of false confessions, though, it's like, you know, those happen over time. There's lots of uh, lots of suggestibility going on there, like the investigator yeah. telling them there's no way out. Or, you know, if you just tell us that you did this, then we're going to give you an easier sentence or whatever. But there are cases. Uh, where well, yeah, I mean, wait, if you want to get into the whole legal system thing, yeah, yeah, where you have to take these oh, plea deals problems. and you get screwed. Yeah, yeah. 
So some of them are just like, oh, we're going to give make things easier. But then other times it's actually that people will develop a whole memory of doing it. And then they don't even think they're falsely confessing. They think they are confessing to a crime that they committed, but they actually didn't. So it's, it's pretty wow. wild. But you asked about the jurors as well. Like, I don't know about specific studies there, but I think potentially like if a juror saw an image of the crime scene, it might make it easier for them to imagine um, whatever claims are being made. So might make it the prosecuting attorney is just like they show this picture of the crime scene and then they tell this story as they're showing yeah. the picture and the jury is just like oh yeah that does make yeah, sense yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so that would most likely make the jury more inclined to believe that the story is true or you know that that event might have happened it's all like so see i told you guys this is gonna be scary <laughs> that is scary but it also makes me but it also helps me because now it makes me realize that i definitely could have been a lawyer i mean i've watched lincoln lawyer enough and now i know this i would win every case it's a layup oh yeah just show a picture you're in <laughs> yeah. yeah let's use no, this I- we're bad. Let's do it. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> this episode was really interesting. Like, I just love talking to intelligent people, and you're much more intelligent myself, like I said. And, uh, like, oh, this whole, on. like, the inner workings, the inner workings of the mind, and, and how we have these false memories and everything. This type of thing is going to keep me up at night. Like, it's going to make me, like, rethink everything that I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. You could, like, listen to this podcast or watch a thriller, and then you'll be, able, you'll be up all night either way. <laughs> this one's definitely going to make people think but I really appreciate you coming on Brittany is there any parting words that you would like to leave the people oh just thanks so much for having me and uh, yeah follow me on Instagram come to my comedy shows if you're in New York uh, they're every Tuesday and Saturday in Brooklyn right now we're running them on rooftops we might be indoors someday in a year probably <laughs> thank you Brittany for being on the show today uh, it was a great episode very interesting hope you guys learned a thing or two this was probably the first time I brought somebody on that uh can speak at length of something like this This is really interesting stuff here folks but uh hope you all are having a great day and stay safe out there and i will see you when i see you